Open your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17. Today is part three in our series entitled, A Thankful Heart Is. In part one, I shared how a thankful heart is a reflective heart. In part two last week, Pastor Paul Mead shared a beautiful message on how a thankful heart is a full heart. And today we're going to focus on how a thankful heart is a worshipful heart. Let's pray. Gracious Father in heaven, oh, we're just so grateful and so thankful. Overwhelmed by your grace, your mercy, your goodness, your faithfulness. The abundance of heaven that you gladly give and bless us with. Gracious Father in heaven, I pray for your strength, the power of your spirit to speak God, through your servant today, God, that you would open through the power of your spirit all of our hearts and minds to the wonderful truth in today's text, that you would be glorified, that we would be built up and strengthened in our faith, and that there would be those here today drawn, drawn, those who have yet entered into this beautiful relationship you've made available through faith in your son I pray through your spirit you would open their hearts to the truth of the good news the gospel of Jesus Christ and draw these individuals to yourself be glorified we pray in Jesus name amen Luke chapter 17 verses 11 through 19 Luke writes, now it happened as he went to Jerusalem, speaking of Jesus, that he passed through the midst of Samaria in Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there he met ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, go, show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks, giving Jesus thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. The story of the ten lepers is a testimony to the healing power of Jesus Christ. But even more than that, it's a witness of a thankful and worshipful heart from a condemned man who was brought from death to life. It's our story. This is what sets the story of the ten lepers apart from all the other healing stories of the New Testament. For all those Jesus healed and raised from the dead, only this leper came back to say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Luke chapter 17, our main scripture text, verses 15 and 16 say, when he saw that he was healed, he returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his 
face at his feet, at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. This serves as a beautiful example that a thankful heart is a worshipful heart. In the Bible, the word leprosy is mentioned some 40 plus times. The main reason why leprosy is talked about so much in the Bible is that it is a graphic illustration of sin's destructive power. In ancient Israel, leprosy was a powerful object lesson of the debilitating influence of sin in a person's life. In fact, those with leprosy were so despised that they were not allowed to live in their own community, with their own people, not even with their own family members. Husbands and wives were separated. Parents from their children. Children from their parents. In Numbers, the Old Testament, The book of Numbers, chapter 5, verse 2 says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel that they put out of the camp every leper. Put out of the community every leper. Leprosy is a, a vivid illustration of the destructive power of sin. Marriages and families were ripped apart. There's the loss of family. There's the loss of employment. There's the loss of earthly possessions. There's the loss of community. There's the loss of worship. Lepers were not allowed in the temple. Leprosy is a picture of the destructive nature, the destructive power of sin. In God's eyes, sin is very, very serious. There's a clear message here. What is gained by sinning does not compare to what is lost. Leviticus chapter 13, verses 2 and 3, it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When a man has on the skin of his body a swelling, a scab, or a bright spot, and it becomes on the skin of his body like a leprous sore, then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest, or to one of his sons the priests. The priest shall examine the sore on the skin of the body. And if the hair on the sore has turned white and the sore appears to be deeper, appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a leprous sore. Then the priest shall examine him and pronounce him unclean. In verses 45 and 46 of Leviticus chapter 13, we read, Now the leper on whom the sore is, his clothes shall be torn and his head bare, and he shall cover his mustache and cry, Unclean, unclean, he shall be unclean. All the days he has the sore, he shall be unclean. He is unclean and he shall dwell alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. To drive home this point, I'd like to share four ways leprosy is a picture of sin. If you're taking notes on your outline, number one, leprosy was an inward disease. Even though you saw leprosy on the outside of the body, the real cause of the disease was lying beneath the surface of the skin. The sore and other problems were symptoms of the disease, but the cause ran deeper still. Church, Sin is precisely the same. We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because the root of sin runs deep. 
Sin proceeds from a sinful heart. Jesus, in fact, points this out in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 15, verse 19. He says, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. You see, just like the leper would have the disease long before it even began to show, sin does its work in us well before others may ever, ever see it. It often starts with secret sin in our, in our hearts, and then it begins to show itself in public sin. You see, sin is a heart issue, church, not a behavioral issue. If you want to change your behavior or you want to see someone else's behavior change, there must be a heart change. Can I hear a big amen? Like leprosy, sin is an inward disease. It's deceptive and destructive. Number two, leprosy was a nasty disease. It could be felt. It came with uncomfortable numbness and and aches and, and horrible wounds all over the body. Many of the wounds that the leper would have were the result of the numbness, the disease produced in fingers and feet and limbs. Leprosy would damage nerve endings to the point where the sense of pain was completely gone. And so the leper could be cutting or burning their flesh without even knowing it. They had no feeling, complete numbness. And so it caused greater damage, greater destruction. Likewise, sin produces numbness. And when our conscience is numb, It wounds. It's destructive. It doesn't just wound us personally, but it wounds those around us. It doesn't just destroy us. It's destructive to those around us. Listen to this warning in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Beware, brethren, this is being written to the church. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened, numbed to the deceitfulness of sin. The practice of sin sin makes us numb hardens us, numb to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, hardened to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Like leprosy, sin is a nasty, nasty disease. This makes me think of the time when Jesus told the Pharisees in the Gospel of Luke chapter 5, verses 31 and 32, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. You see, the Pharisees were upset with Jesus for eating with sinners. They were upset. Man, this really troubled them. Friend, there is a doctor who still makes house calls. His name is Jesus Christ. 
Like leprosy, sin is a nasty disease. The sinner is spiritually sick and needs the help of the great physician, Jesus Christ. He alone has the cure for this terrible, nasty disease called sin. No one else has the cure. Jesus still makes house calls. Amen? Next, leprosy was a separating disease. Leprosy put you outside the camp for quarantine. Not only did it separate loved ones, but it also separated the infected person from the holy presence of God. Lepers were considered ceremonially unclean, which meant they were unable to go to the temple to worship. And the temple was where God manifested his presence at that time. Church sin does the same. It puts us at odds with God. The Old Testament book Isaiah, in chapter 59, verse 2 says, But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. Wow. Unconfessed sin. Sin that is constantly being practiced. Even when we know it's in direct rebellion against the holy God. Hinders our prayers from being answered. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you. So that he will not hear. Romans chapter 6 verse 23a says. For the wages of sin is death. For the word death means eternal separation. What leprosy does to the flesh. Sin will do to your soul. Sin will eat away at your soul. And ultimately destroy your soul. And lastly leprosy was an isolating disease. Sin also isolates us from others, from family, from friends, from the fellowship of the people of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, the apostle Paul, he writes to the church in Corinth, but now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother, anyone named a Christ follower, a Christian who is sexually immoral or covetous covetous or an idolater or drunkard or an extortioner not even to eat with such a person now for some people that might seem harsh it might seem like God contradicts himself but God never contradicts himself and God is never harsh he's always loving he's always good but remember church In God's eyes, sin is very, very serious, especially when people confess to believe and and say they're following Christ. Like leprosy, sin can be contagious, and the Lord wants to protect his bride, his church, from becoming affected by the destructive nature of sin, especially sin that's constantly practiced. Amongst a brother or a sister. Like leprosy, sin is an isolating disease. And we end up alone with our addiction. How often do we see this? 
alone without pain. When sin becomes our only companion, your life is marked by loneliness. Your life is marked by depression. Your life is marked by misery. Isolation is a very dangerous place to be. The devil has you right where he wants you. Where he can hit you 24-7 with his lies, his accusations. Where he can fill your heart and mind with doubt and with anger towards God and his word. Where he begins to work as the author of confusion in your own heart. You begin to question the goodness of God, the love of God, the kindness of God. The provision of God through Jesus Christ. Isolation is a very, very dangerous place for anyone to be. In today's text, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem for the last time. Death is on his mind, the cross before him. It's no surprise Jesus encounters these men between Samaria and Galilee. Galilee was Jesus' home base. He was raised there. He had family and childhood friends there. He made his headquarters at Capernaum on the shores of the Sea, the, the shores of, of, the sea of Galilee. And most of his miracles and much of his teaching was done in Galilee. Galilee was the place of his greatest popularity. But Samaria was a whole nother matter. Good Jews avoided Samaria if they could. The story goes back hundreds of years, back to the Assyrian captivity. Time doesn't um, permit me to, to walk you through that history. But the Jews hated the Samaritans, and the Samaritans responded in kind. You see, if a Jew and a Samaritan were walking on the same side of the road, heading towards one another, the Jew would go to the other side of the road. They had so much hatred for Samaritans. And so it is here, between Galilee and Samaria, that Jesus meets ten lepers. The Jews didn't want the lepers, and and, and neither did the Samaritans. Verses 12 and 13 of our main scripture text, Luke chapter 17, gives us what sounds like an eyewitness account. Luke writes that as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers who stood afar off, and they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. There they stand, ten lepers crying out to Jesus for mercy. Have mercy, they cried. Have mercy, they cried. They came to Jesus. Have mercy. The cry came from the lips that had seen too little mercy and too much condemnation. Mercy is kindness. Church, mercy is kindness and compassion exercised toward the miserable. Let me say it again. Mercy is kindness and compassion exercised, expressed toward the miserable. It is God not punishing us as our sins deserve punishment. Luke chapter 17 verse 14 says that when Jesus saw them, he said to them, Go show yourselves to the priests. Now, at first glance, you might think it's strange that Jesus would give them this direction. I mean, after all, they were all deformed. Their skin is falling off like scales. 
There were sores everywhere, all over their bodies. The last thing the priest wanted to see was ten smelly, disheveled um, lepers with deformed arms and deformed feet and, and fingers bitten off by rodents. That was the last thing a priest would want to see. But on, but on they went. But on they went as Jesus directed them to do so. They take one step and they are still lepers. They take two steps and, and, and nothing happens. Nothing changes. They take a, a third step and, and the leprosy clings to their limbs. Some would say they're crazy. But as they take the fourth and the fifth and the sixth steps, the seventh, the eighth, something wonderful happens. Something unbelievable happens. The second part of, of verse 14 says, and so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. They were healed instantly, miraculously, all ten at once. You see, Jesus all along was going to heal them. And this is critical, church. He intended to do it in keeping with the demands of the law of Moses. Leviticus 14 clearly states that the priest must authenticate any cure from leprosy. If Jesus, Jesus hadn't sent the lepers to the priest, no one would have believed the miracle that had taken place. Now, don't miss this, church. This is critical. This is important. They were healed as they went. Not before, not after, but in the act of going, they were healed. It didn't matter how they felt about it. I'm sure they were scratching their heads the closer they got to the priest, battling doubt as they looked at, the, at their arms, at their arms still deformed and, and skin falling off. But none of, but none of that mattered. Nonetheless, they went. They did what Jesus told them to do. They went to the priest. God honored their going despite their doubt. This is, this is huge. This brings us to a tremendous insight. Our faith moves mountains when our faith moves us. You see, so many times we pray and we pray and nothing seems to happen. You can identify? We all can identify with that reality. But when our faith, shaky as it may be at times, finally moves us to action, God honors it and the answer begins to come. God begins to move. God begins to work. Why? Because faith is belief plus unbelief. Hear this, church. Faith is belief plus unbelief, but acting on the belief part. We can all identify with that reality. I think of the father who brought his son, who had a mute spirit, to Jesus. 
tears in his eyes, the father says to Jesus in Mark 9, 24, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. How many can identify with this dad? How many can identify with this father? Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I bring my son to you. He's in great need. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. How many, you're praying, you believe, but there's, there's unbelief in the midst of your belief. But it's the belief part that moves you to action. That moves you to obey. And to do what Jesus has called us to do, even when it doesn't make sense. And we can't see the results. It's the belief part. Jesus heals the boy. Faith is belief plus unbelief but acting on the belief part. That's exactly what this father did, and Jesus was merciful to this dad. It's exactly what the lepers did, and Jesus showed them mercy. So many of us are trapped by the curse of passive religion, passive faith. It's the view that says trust in God means letting him do it all. And so we pray, Lord, I need money, but we refuse to go to work and look for a job. We pray, Lord, help me lose weight, but we refuse to start exercising. If your name is Noah and God told you it's going to rain, it's all right to pray for an ark, but while you're praying, go out and cut down some gopher wood and build a boat. If your name is David and you find yourself in a valley facing Goliath, it's all right to pray for victory, but while you're praying, pick up some stones and put them in your sling and take dead aim at Goliath's forehead. Trusting God does not equal doing nothing. In Joshua chapter 3, the priest had to step into the Jordan River before the Lord parted the waters. He said he would. But they had to step in. Remember the ten lepers were healed as they went. Not before, not after, but as they went. Our faith moves mountains when our faith moves us. The ten lepers were healed. And that's wonderful. But it's not the end of the story. In fact, that's not even the heart of the story. Another miracle is about to happen. Look at verses 15 and 16. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. Ten were healed and only one came back to give thanks. Church, a thankful heart is a worshipful heart. Our text tells us, and with a loud voice, the Samaritan, with a loud voice, the Samaritan glorified God and fell down on his face, at his feet, giving him thanks. With a loud voice, the Samaritan glorified God. That's what praise is. Praise is glorifying God. I'm not ashamed to lift my voice, to lift it loudly in glorifying my God, my Savior, my Redeemer. After all, I get excited when the Celtics win their 15th game in a row. How much more should I be excited about God and who he is and all he has done and continues to do in pouring out his grace on this wretched life? 
A thankful heart is a worshipful heart. This Samaritan who returned to Jesus and fell at his feet and with a loud voice glorified him, giving him thanks, no longer isolated. He was no longer isolated. He was no longer separated from his family, no longer forgotten by his friends, no longer cut off from, from his community. The nasty disease, the smell vanishes. The crooked fingers and, and, and twisted limbs are straightened. Not a trace of leprosy. He is whole again, clean again. No longer an outcast. No wonder he shouted, I would too. And I think you would as well. You, you see, in religious matters, this Samaritan knew almost nothing. And what he knew was mostly wrong. But he knew Jesus had healed him. He knew enough to be grateful to God. Hey, you might not know this book inside and out, and maybe there's some things you know about this book that are completely wrong, but this one thing I hope you do know, what God has done for you through his son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, on the cross over 2,000 years ago. That's enough to be grateful to God for a lifetime and beyond. Jesus blessed by the thankful and worshipful heart of this Samaritan. He said to him in verses 17 and 18, were there not 10 cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? If you listen carefully, you can hear surprise in Jesus' voice. Shock. In Jesus' voice. And most of all, if you listen close enough, you could hear sadness. Jesus wanted to know about the others. Where are they? Weren't they healed? Why didn't they come back and say, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Here's an amazing fact. You look at these 10 lepers and they appear to be alike. All had leprosy. All were outcasts from society. All were determined to do something about their situation. All had heard about Jesus and believed he could help them. All appealed, appealed to Jesus cried out to Jesus for mercy. All obeyed his word. All ten were healed. On the outside, church, on the outside, they appear identical. Just like us. Yet, what a difference. What a difference. One returned Nine went on. One was grateful. Nine were not. One man found forgiveness. Nine did not. One man got two miracles. Nine got one. All ten were healed. That's one miracle. But the Samaritan was healed and forgiven. That's two miracles. And Jesus said to him in verse 19 of our text, Arise, go your way. Your faith 
has made you well. Your faith in me has made you well. When Jesus told him that his faith has made him well, he was letting this Samaritan know that his sins have been forgiven. He received a double cleansing. He was pronounced physically cleansed or cured by the earthly priest. And he was pronounced cleansed by his great heavenly high priest, Jesus Christ. The author of Hebrews talks about Jesus as our great high priest in Hebrews chapter 9. Church, when we live life marked with a thankful and worshipful heart, heaven's bounty and blessing is poured out to us. We can't contain it all. His grace is so rich and deep. We just can't contain it. It overwhelms us as we were worshiping. The reality of his grace, his goodness, his mercy. I was feeling so overwhelmed by his grace, his goodness to Pat Madeiras, his faithfulness. It just brings me to tears at times. Overwhelmed in a beautiful, beautiful way where I just want to just lift my hands and my voices in, in adoration and praise and thanksgiving. I just can't help it, church. I can't help but get excited. I can't help but lift my voice and give my life over and over and over and over again to my Savior for his sacred use. Lewin, for his sacred use. Lewin Ellis Bushen, that is. For his sacred use. I can't help but get up in the morning and say, God, for your sacred use, I give you my life. As a thanks offering. And he's blessed by this. He's blessed by this wretched life. He's glorified by it. Man. Incredible. The question remains. Where are the nine? The answer is they got what they wanted and left. How many of us are like that with Jesus? We get what we want with no intention of serving him. You're my Lord. We get what we want and we walk away from his lordship. Only the Samaritan is grateful for the grace received. The others think solely of the benefits received. They have no interest in worshiping Jesus. But a real thankful heart is a worshipful heart. Church, when it finally breaks through that only by the grace of God do we have anything valuable in this life, only then does life really begin to change. What was duty is now delight. What was law is now grace. What was demanded is now volunteered. We willingly serve with a thankful, worshipful heart. What was drudgery is now joy. What was taken for granted is now offered up in praise to God. When it finally breaks through to us, and then we come running gladly, 
back to Jesus, just like this Samaritan. And with a loud voice, we, we glorify God. We fall down on our face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Ten men, ten men were healed that day, but only one came back to give thanks. Are you living with the nine or with the one? Church, as we gather around our Thanksgiving table this coming Thursday, let's not forget we were infected with this horrible disease called leprosy, sin, separated from the presence of a holy God. But God in his mercy extended his kindness, expressing compassion and not punishing us as we deserve. Thank him for his mercy provision as you bite into that turkey leg. Thank God for that mercy provision. Thank God for, the, for his grace provision. As you eat those Mashed potatoes with gravy drenched all over them. Thank him for his grace provision. Thank him for his mercy provision. All year round, live a life of worship. A thankful heart is a worshipful heart. What does this look like? I conclude. I close with this. Turn your outline over and write these down if you would, please. I have them on the screen above. What does a thankful and worshipful heart look like? This is not an exhaustive list, but I, I, I wrote a couple practical things down that I trust will help you to understand what a worshipful, thankful heart looks like. We live with gratitude. I just want us just to just pause. Let this really seep into our hearts. What's coming to your mind when you think of the word gratitude? Next, we live in obedience to God's word. Because we love God, we love this book. And because we love God and we love this book, Jesus says, your life will be marked by obedience. A life of obedience. Not a life of rebellion. Next, we live to glorify and please God. Let's think about how we're living. How did we live yesterday? How did we live on Friday? Have we thought about how we're going to live today? And if the Lord grants us tomorrow, how are we going to live tomorrow? You see, a thankful heart is a worshipful heart. This is what it looks like. We live 
to serve others. Let's just think about that. We live to serve others. Who have we served in the past year, the past week, maybe the past 24, 48 hours? We serve because we're reminded of what Jesus said for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Your name is in that many. Yes. Next, we live to bless others. A thankful heart, a worshipful heart is more concerned about blessing others than advancing themselves. Next, we live to share the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. In this bad news world that we live in, we live to share the good news of Jesus. Because I have a thankful heart. I have a worshipful heart. And a thankful and worshipful heart lives to share the good news of Jesus. He's the reason why I have a a thankful and worshipful heart. There's no other reason. It has nothing to do with the home I live in or the car that I drive or the clothes on my back. It has everything to do with Jesus. That I I have a thankful heart. I, I have a worshipful heart because I deserve eternal condemnation, spiritual separation. Jamie, that's what I deserve. That's what I deserve. That's what we all deserve. But God in his kindness toward us, leads us to repentance, and we experience the mercy and the grace of God. And we who were dead like those lepers, we've been made alive in Jesus Christ. All that sin deformed, God has made brand new. We're his new creation. Next, we live to support his work and serve in his church. A a thankful heart and a worshipful heart is exempt from excuses. Jesus addresses this in a parable, doesn't he? But Lord, I I, I can't. I got this to do, and I got this to do. I got this business to do. We live to support his work and serve in his church. And lastly, we live to honor him with the provisions he has abundantly blessed us with. This is just a little picture 
a visual of God's provision. Everything we see there, God created. It's amazing. And it comes out of the ground to nourish us physically, to strengthen us physically. All this came from the ground to do that. It was all part of God's design and plan to nourish us physically. But one day, one day to meet man's greatest need, something not only came from the sky, but came out of the ground on the third day. His name is Jesus. He left heaven. He came from the sky, out of the sky, into the ground, out of the ground. His name is Jesus. To provide for us what we could never provide for ourselves. The forgiveness of sin and a way to have a beautiful relationship with a holy God despite all of our imperfections. He clothes us. He he wraps us in the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. Church, can we praise him? Can we praise him? Can we praise him? Can we praise him?